0: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Some of you know that at the beginning of this month, my family and I took a surprise road trip across America. We had traveled to the rural Oregon coast to attend a family member's wedding, only to have every single one of our plans thwarted when six out of the nine members of my family got sick with COVID. We stayed in our rental house for the week, laying in bed, and then when the time came to go back home, we couldn't get on the plane because we were all symptomatic. And so we got in our rental car and we drove 2,601 miles back to our house through 10 states with two children under the age of three and four grown grown-ups all with COVID. <laughs> and I'll just let you imagine for a moment what it felt like in that car for those days of our driving. I had a lot of moments of self-pity throughout this drive, but even despite my best efforts of being miserable, I found myself struck by awe as we drove across our country. All of us in the car had these moments, I think, where we would jostle each other's arms and say, look, when we saw these little waterfalls of Oregon trickling down the mountain outside our window or those massive mountains of Montana and the lakes, the outline of the Badlands of South Dakota outside our window. It was an amazing journey to see the country, one state after another. As we drove, I was reminded by a conversation that I had with a friend in our last year of seminary. We were sitting around at dinner and a native of South Dakota herself she asked us at the table this question. She said, how have the landscapes in which you were raised formed you? And I actually didn't understand the question she was asking. I I didn't have an answer. I couldn't put the words together to make meaning. But for whatever reason, that question has come up for me over the years since it was asked. How has the land where you were raised formed you?" And I thought of that question as we drove, as I commented to my dad, who was in the car with us, about how remote so much of the American West is. There is so much land and so few people. We commented to each other in a political sense about how that must impact the people who live there. If that is all they've ever known, that is the landscape in which they were formed. And it's different for each of us. Maybe this is the landscape in which you were raised. For me, the rolling hills of Kentucky form the backdrop of my childhood. And I can't even fully put it to words, but something happens when I go back to central Kentucky and I'm among that land, and it is a deep familiarity with place, almost like I belong to those hills. All of this is part for us, many of us, our own journeys of faith, our relationship with the earth and the places we live, the places where we were raised. This isn't unique to Christianity. It stems through all spiritualities and all religions, this partnership we have with the earth as humans. And in fact, being Christian and a lover of the earth has sometimes been a complicated relationship to be in. Interpretations of scripture have led us to think that we are masters over the earth, rather than stewards or companions to it. Our notions of the afterlife have sometimes given us the sense that this earth will leave this behind for a better land, which subtly, in ways we probably don't even notice, forms our relationship to the earth we inhabit. And then if you pair this With our notions of the American dream, it gets even more complicated for us and the Earth. These themes are swirling within the gospel passage that we heard, that of the provocative parable of the rich fool, as it's called. This is a story of a man who is completely obsessed with himself. He has conversations with himself. He dreams of tearing down his barns to build bigger ones, to hold the sum of his harvest. You can see it through his language. There is this repetition throughout of the word, I, I, I. He says, what should I do? And then he answers his own question. I will do this. I will build bigger barns. I will tear down the old ones. He then takes it to another level and speaks directly to his soul, saying, Soul, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. This is a hyperbolic character, as so many of the characters in Jesus' parables are. And it can be easy to find ourselves chuckling at him until we realize with a sense of dread how familiar the rich fool is. He is, in many ways, the ideal of the American dream, of the self-made man. We are a country of barn builders. We are living in ever bigger and bigger homes. And when our homes can't hold the sum of our riches, we have built air-conditioned storage units that dot the entire landscape of our country to hold all of our things. This story is about us. And Jesus, his teaching cuts through circumstance and time. And Jesus' voice meets with the voice of environmentalists and economists who say, you can't continue like this without consequence. You can't continue to consume and consume and tear down your things and build bigger ones and throw them away and build even bigger ones without facing some dire results results which we've seen on the news this week in flooding in Missouri and Kentucky, where the landscapes in which those people were raised have been washed away. Jesus doesn't offer a lot of content to his counter-teaching of the parable. He kind of just leaves us with it, leaves the crowd that had gathered to listen to him but he says this one expression at the very end where he says this is what happens to people who aren't rich toward God. If we look at the rest of the Gospel of Luke, where we find the story, we can understand what rich toward God might look like. It looks like Mary, a young teenage woman who listened for the voice of God, expecting to hear it and answering it when she did. Being rich toward God looks like the good Samaritan who cared for those that others had neglected. And the Gospel writer Luke makes very clear that being rich toward God means literally giving away your possessions rather than building something bigger to hold them. Now, when Jesus was in his earthly ministry, climate crisis wasn't yet a thing. But I wonder if Jesus would add to this list that being rich toward God means taking care of the earth. There's an American novelist, Wallace Stegner, who wrote a lot about the American West. And in his writing, he has a sentence that reflects on the evolution of the American dream, of American individualism. And he says it's developed without its essential corrective, which is belonging. We've forgotten the notion of belonging. And this is what it means to be rich toward God, to remember that truth that Jeannie spoke about in her sermon last week, if you were here, that we belong to God, we were made by God, that we belong to each other, and that we belong to the earth, to the landscapes in which we were raised. We heard from Paul today in the letter to Colossians a harrowing list of traits of sin, things that we are to, as he says, literally die to. And whenever we get these litanies from Paul, I find myself tuning out, either from thinking, oh, I know what he's talking about, or because I just don't really want to think about what he's talking about. Today, fornication, impurity, evil desire, anger, wrath, malice, and he's not done. He keeps going. Today, I put those sins alongside this notion, this corrective of belonging because we hurt each other, we exploit each other and the earth when we forget that we belong to each other. It's not from a moralistic place of right and wrong, but from a deep forgetting, a forgetfulness. I have hope from Paul as he wraps up his passage that this is not a problem that we need to set right ourselves. In fact, I don't think we can. Paul reminds us that through Christ, through the renewal that comes through our faith and our baptism, we are set right, in right relationship with all created order, with ourselves and with each other and with the earth. That is what comes from faith in Christ. Throughout this week, as I reflected on the earth, all the lessons it has taught us, and I thought of the rich fool and his familiar greed, I had a hymn text come to mind, one of the more beautiful prayers from our hymnal, which we'll sing later at the offertory. And I'll just tell you the words to the last verse. Breathe through the heats of our desire, thy coolness and thy balm, Let sense be dumb, let flesh retire, speak through the earthquake, wind, and fire, O still, small voice of calm. May God breathe through the heats of our desire, a coolness and a balm. And may that still, small voice of calm Remind you, remind me, that we belong to each other. That we belong to this land. And that each of us, everyone who has been and is and will be, belongs to the God who made it all. Who is, in the words of Paul, all in all. Amen.